Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. The left is maintaining their winning streak for the Guinness Book of World Records and keeping the longest news cycle of stupidity going uninterrupted in the modern age. In this past week, there has been a litany of items that have elevated this to new heights. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Somehow, in the midst of this insane barrage of nuttiness, they've basically defecated all over Christianity in the process, which we'll get into in just a moment. But, you know, the week goes on and we get insane things like Representative Ilan Omar. You know, our favorite, our favorite Islamist in the House of Representatives, the new freshman Islamist, she had this tweet where she basically said, they got him. He's compromised, talking about Lindsey Graham, apparently insinuating there's some sort of blackmail that Donald Trump has on him. Maybe it's uh, his homosexuality. Let's hear a little bit from Omar. The message about the the kind of inclusive societies we can all Mm -hmm. live in. Well, positive one. We need to ask you about this. You tweeted, we're going to put this up on the screen regarding uh, Republican Congressman Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, I believe we we have this tweet saying they got him. He is compromised. Uh, and there it is. I wonder if you could explain what, what you were talking about there. This, is, this has sparked a fair amount of criticism, uh, not just from Republicans. Can you explain that comment? So over the last three years, um, we have seen many times where uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham has told us how dangerous this president could be if we were, he was given the opportunity to be in the White House. And all of a sudden, he's made um, not only a, a 180 turnaround, but a 360 turnaround. And so I am pretty sure uh, that there is something happening um, with him, whether it is um, uh, you know, uh, something that has to do with his uh, funding when it comes to running for, for office, whether it has uh, something to do with the polling that they might um, uh, have in, in his district, or whether it, it has to do with um, some sort of uh, leadership within uh, the Senate. He is somehow uh, compromised to no longer stand up for the truth uh, and, quite, and to, to make sure that he is uh, fighting um, to, to protect the oath that he took uh, in serving the American people. But, but that, that's quite a charge to make. You say you're pretty sure based on, based on what evidence, what, what facts. That, that's a remarkable uh, comment to make about a sitting U.S. senator. The, 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 ev- the evidence really is um, present to us. Uh, it's being presented to us in the way that he's behaving. But that's not evidence. That, that's your opinion. Yeah. Conspiracy theories, unfounded allegations. You know, if we did this on the right towards the left, there would be complete outrage. You know, you'd have all types of advocacy groups complaining. I mean, now, is Il- Ilhan Omar advocating for throwing Lindsey Graham off the top of the Capitol building if for some reason it comes out that maybe he does fly a little light in the pants? Maybe he is a, uh, you know, queer as a football bat. Who knows? But who cares? Who cares about who he's doing it with in the bedroom? We joked around about Senator Muffin Cumberpatch in the the past. But, you know, they're trying to insinuate or she's trying to insinuate that his decision making is clouded because of this. But, of course, no outrage from the left. 
and we go on about our week where we can defecate all over Christianity. We got the March for Our Life happening this weekend. People out there marching for the rights of the unborn, and we get insane stories like this. More than 20 faith leaders bless Planned Parenthood's new D.C. clinic. From the piece, as Planned Parenthood fights attacks from congressional Republicans, more than 20 local faith leaders came together to bless the organization's newest health uh, health clinic in D.C. Now, remember, they're fighting attacks from congressional Republicans who have passed spending measure after spending measure after spending measure to continually fund Planned Parenthood every year for the past few decades with little to no resistance. So keep fighting that straw man there, Planned Parenthood. Keep it up. From the piece, before the ceremony kicked off, religious leaders gathered upstairs for their own prayer circle, led by Rabbi Michael Damoth, the program director of the Religious Action Center for Reform Judaism, called upon their obligation to the world to make it whole and holy. Not their obligation to God or Christ or their creator. Obligation to the world. It's kind of an interesting statement. Then the formal event began featuring leaders from different Christian denominations, a rabbi, abortion providers, a Planned Parenthood patient, Hindu priest, and a mom over Skype, visual art, and a little bit of a dance that they had. I've been a Christian longer than I've been an abortion provider, said Willie Parker, who is about as close as the reproductive choice movement gets to a rock star, the piece says. He's a rock star. Should see him out there turning them abortions up to 11. He just pulls them out, holds them up, and he's like, yeah, baby, look at me. Women have been made to think that this clinic is some evil place where God is not. He continued pointing out the people cursing women for making sacred decisions. Our answer is to curse, to the curse is to bless. Because, you know, God's back over there handing over the vacuum to the technician while he knowingly nods that, yeah. I guess this kid's got to go. Reverend Doctors Christine and Dennis Wiley of the Baptist Church or Baptist United Church of Christ organized the event and acknowledged that anti-abortion perspectives dominate many religious institutions. Quote, the conservative voices are big. It drowns out the progressive voices, but it's not that progressive voices aren't there. No, you're there. So pick up the baton there, Ms. Progressive. Rabbi Namath spoke on behalf of the Jewish tradition making decisions about one's health care is making decisions about one's body and a way to honor God. Because, you know, the body's the temple, a temple of doom to the unborn children, I guess. May the ones who bless our ancestors bring healing on all in need, he said in his prayer. God, let your spirit rest upon these caregivers who serve as instruments of your hands, the instruments of death. It's like a bad joke. A rabbi, a Hindu priest, an Islamic imam walk into a clinic. Except for the imam, he Skyped his way into the clinic, which actually works in his favor. He didn't have to actually physically be on the premises to bastardize his religion. But they tossed holy water on the threshold of the clinic's doorway. But it eventually turned into plumes of steam, which looked like a drum circle of hipsters vaping in unison. Because every time I've ever seen somebody vaping, especially in a car, it looks like they're barbecuing in their front seat of their friggin' car. I've never seen, it's like a nuclear reactor just pouring smoke out of the front seat of their car. And then you see them with this little flute, this like little oboe device. They look at human representation of religion 
as a way of justification. As, and that's basically how they think God works. You know, if there's enough rabbis and enough Christian people in attendance, well, then God's cool with it. It's basically like their view of the Pope. You know, the Pope is a living document, much like the Constitution. You know, the idea behind making the Constitution a living document means you can change it, adjust it, especially with how, it, how government interacts with God-given natural rights that are protected against government infringement. But, you know, if it fits the needs of your desires, then you just tweak it a little bit and codify whatever, you know, lifestyle choices you want to make. That's how the living document works. And that's how they view the Pope. Did the Pope say gay marriage is all good? Well, the Pope said we can now abort all these kids because of overpopulation and climate change. So God must be cool with that. Awesome. That means God's on board with it. I guess if we get enough religious representation to endorse pagan agenda items, then we're all good over here. Same thing with all of these religious type leaders blessing an abortion clinic. It's amazing. You know, yeah, God's okay with vacuuming away his creation in a less crunchy type of manner, which leads to directors of the organization hitting the town in their Lamborghinis paid for by the death of the unborn children. That should make you sleep at night fairly well. And where is Vishnu with all those arms swinging around, sprinkling holy water all over the clinic? It would have been blessed by every religion imaginable if he showed up. Except for the satanic religion, they weren't invited, but I think they got there bright and early, and they were on their way out the door before any of these leaders showed up. But here's another political setback for the religious community from the Daily Wire. The little sisters of the poor may once again have to pay for contraceptives and abortions in violation of their religious conscience due to another judicial activist federal judge ruling. Judge Hayward Gilliam, an Obama appointee, ruled against protections installed by the Trump administration that gave broader religious exemptions to employers under the Obamacare mandate, Life News reports. The ruling comes as several left-wing states filed suit in 2017 to overturn the rules put into place by the Trump administration, arguing that they violate women's rights. So we have to make these nuns, the little sisters of the poor, advocate for abortion. You will be made to love abortion, whether you like it or not. Birth control is healthcare, no matter what the Trump and Pence administration thinks or whether your boss agrees with it, the spokeswoman for Planned Parenthood said. So if your boss is the creator of all creation, you're supposed to snuff out said creation because it's health care. Like that shout your abortion founder. You know, she said, oh, it's like a bad dentist appointment. And then poof, pregnancy's all gone. Alakazam! You know? I mean, it's, it's like that one lady who we got into with online, who went on and on about abortion. You know, abortion is, um, what did she say? Something about fetal tissue is not a life. And she made it a point to reiterate this. Oh, fetal tissue is not a person. But I, but I am, and I matter more than fetal tissue, sign people who have miscarriages and abortions. She's throwing people who willingly wanted a child, and the child died, and they had no control of the death of that child, and they grieve over it. Yeah, she's throwing them in with people who want abortions because, you know, they, want, they don't want their career to suffer. They don't want, you know, their lifestyle, and, you know, he, he, might, he or she might be born, and we might not care for them as much. We might not love them as much because... You know, they weren't planned. The word fetal in and of itself regards it as life-giving tissue. So, yeah, you're kind of wrong there, Ms. Danielle uh, Campamore. But, you know, 
That's what we're dealing with with the left. You know, science is science unless science debunks what you believe in, and then science is no longer applicable. And so while we conservatives continue to stand for life and even march for life in the fight against infanticide like they did this weekend, the war on the left has been waging. They have their own important war, and it's toxic masculinity. Yes, Gillette, the best a man can get. Yeah! Started off a wave with its commercial pointing out the sins of the new morality. Boys are not allowed to be boys anymore. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. But she says and there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right um, way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Yo, men, and small. I am strong. But some is not enough. So how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. Which, you know, that's amazing that, that Gillette would ostracize much of its commercial base as they wish. You know, at the end of it, they try to wrap it up. See, look what we're doing. We're talking about how you just need to be a better father. Guess what? The premise is BS from the beginning. You're basically assuming that I and anyone else who's a male are not going to take the measures appropriate and, and, and instilling what it is to be a gentleman with our children, especially if they're boys. And I've got a beard. Who knew I'd be flanked by leftist razors? Ready to fillet me with masculinity, pulling that out of every man. And mine is nice and trimmed. It's not as easy top meets homeless beach bum meets avocado, avocado toast eating hipster bush on my chin. Where does a guy go to get a good shave now without all of the virtue signaling and the preaching? I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. This is uh, when it was during International Men's Day that they decided to do this. And I can't even believe I'm agreeing with Pierce Morgan. He said, I've used Gillette razors my entire adult life, but this is absurd virtue signaling PC guff that may drive me away to a company less eager to fuel the current pathetic global assault on masculinity. Let boys be damn boys. Let men be damn men. I agree. And it's not just Gillette Harry's razor. A competitor said today is International Men's Day. Believe it or not, that's a thing. Now more than ever, being a man demands introspection, humility, and optimism. To get to a better tomorrow, we need to take a look at today and at the misguided stereotypes that got us here in the first place. Really? <laughs> you know, 
I guess when it's International Women's Day, we get to celebrate the strength of women. When it's International Men's Day, we get to be lectured and chastised as if we're all freaking rapists by a shaving company. Now, real quick, we have a good sponsor to our program. It's Cat Coolers. Go to catcoolers.com and check out all of the cat coolers available. 27-quart coolers, 50-foot court, 88-quart. They're durable. If you're, you know, say you're fishing, say you're going to the job site. Maybe, you know, you've got plans coming up during the summer. Going to the beach house. You want to go down to the beach? We go down every friggin' weekend. A cat cooler is something you may want to consider. Go to catcoolers.com. Use the promo code ADRIAN. 10% off and you help out the Adrian Slade Show in the process. Buy a cat cooler. Catcoolers.com. Use the promo code ADRIAN for 10% off. Now, going back to the Gillette ad, you know... I teach my, t- my, my kids to be respectful to women. I've got two boys. I teach them to be chivalrous, courteous, even opening doors for them out of respect, even if it's a bull dyke, angry feminist who wants to condemn us for doing so. Stop painting us all as Cro-Magnon cavemen pulling women around by their hair. People who are duped by part two of the Gillette ad where they wrap it all up and say, look, we're just trying to make people aware and that they should be better parents. They get sucked into the misleading branding. It's like climate change. You know, they go out there and say, we need to fight for clean air and clean water. Who doesn't want that? You know, that it's the premise that's wrong from the very beginning, the premise that energy resources are being destroyed, and it's all incorrect from the outset. Same thing with this. There is, you know, there's always going to be sin in the world. There's always going to be violence. There's always going to be murder. There's always going to be rape. Unfortunately, there is rape in, <laughs> in the Congressional Black Caucus, according to um, those who are looking at what's going on with Sheila Jackson Lee, retaliated against a staffer who planned to sue the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation over one of its members who allegedly raped him. Yeah, Gillette doesn't care about that. There's no outrage over that. But, you know, every leftist agenda item, it has to be cloaked in some semblance of reasoning simply for mass consumption. And that's why they show some sort of solution at the end of the ad. Who doesn't want to teach their boys to be respectful? and to not bully and be chauvinistic. But there's more going on to this ad than those on the surface points. You know what? Gillette is not currently at the border stopping the caravan filled with massive amounts of machismo. Gillette's not down in Puerto Rico saving females on the beach from predators like Democratic Senator Menendez from inviting them to screenings of Hamilton and for drinks with roofies in them later at the hotel during the government shutdown. Nor are they at the local Hooters, shutting down guys being inundated with god-awful calendars of waitresses with daddy issues. I mean, you want strong women? Grow them. Teach them strength. It's not our problem that most of the women out there are riddled with self-conscious issues from day one. It's built into their makeup. I've seen this with the most beautiful and most well-put-together females out there. It was like a dating Achilles heel. If you could tap into that self-consciousness without being disrespectful, without being a complete a-hole or tool, you'd be dating that girl for more than a month. But, you know, what more do men have to do? Tend to butter up these issues that are built into the psyche of the female. But we have to be butthurt over everything. We now have to redirect the Gillette premise towards the president because all outraged narratives are always cultivated in the culture so that they can eventually be weaponized against the political opposition. You build the false narrative within the culture, you blanket it from all avenues, 
You gaslight the death out of it. That means actors, actresses, they speak out against it. Maybe on award shows, maybe on special episodes of their programs. Musicians will sing about it. Commercials will be made like the Gillette and Harry's ads. They will embed them within the Super Bowl commercial lineup so they can provide awareness. You don't believe me? That's exactly what happened with Lindsey Graham. Stephen Miller actually said, this started when a coordinator for Democratic Coalition specifically stated pretty serious sexual kink about the sexuality of Lindsey Graham as it relates to Ilhan Omar's assertion that he's been compromised because they're blackmailing him over his sexuality. Two days later, this narrative made its way to MSNBC, where Stephanie Rule said Trump or somebody knows something pretty extreme about Lindsey Graham, and now a sitting member of Congress is stating these things. Of course, that's when I basically said, exactly. You know, this is how it works. You basically set the narrative. You know, somebody on the left sets the narrative, and then that narrative gets amplified by the media, and then the politicians jump in, and then come Hollywood and the tastemakers and the influencers, and then all of a sudden truth is made. And once that narrative is created and truth is made, it can then be weaponized to the advantage of the left. Don't believe me? Think about the war on women. Out of the blue in 2012 at a debate, George Stephanopoulos asked Mitt Romney about whether or not he was against birth control. Absolutely nobody was against birth control. Romney was shocked by the question. He was like, uh, uh, George, no one's uh, trying to take away birth control. But that door was open for the narrative to be set. Suddenly, Mitt Romney had binders full of women for his hiring staff. Next thing you know, Sandra Fluke was out there talking about requiring so much birth control, she was going broke at college. Even though Obamacare mandated that birth control was free, you could roll up to a CVS or a Walgreens, just sign for it. Then the Alyssa Milano types were out there continually drumming up the lie that, you know, it's old white guys and that the GOP hates females, even though Nikki Haley, Carly Fiorina, Michelle Bachman, they were all running for office. Never mind the fact that black females like Mia Love and Condoleezza Rice had prominent positions within the GOP, but it was only old white guys. But the only female allowed to be elevated was Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren. That's how it rolls. So, you know, we talk about toxic masculinity, and then PETA has to show up throwing around veggies, the swinging Richards of Carrot Johnsons, eggplant schlongs, phallic rutabakers, and testicular beets, as if it's a fight against masculinity. You got these guys up there swinging around carrots down by their junk. It looked like a commercial my, you know, 10-year-old would have made as a joke, and we would have said, dude, uh, that's not appropriate. Stop that. But no, they made a whole flipping commercial for it. And somebody said, well, has anyone's life ch- lifestyle ever changed because of PETA's campaigns? Oh, yeah, mine did. I'm eating lots more red beef. <laughs> I'm like eating venison stew, taking shots of cobra blood. I don't even care. And that's what the news is concerned with. Some fight against this elusive toxic masculinity. Never mind the terror attack that just occurred in Nairobi in Kenya, orchestrated by Al-Shabaab. 
You want to talk about toxic masculinity? You should see how the males were out there rescuing the females in the midst of this attack. How about the war on the LGBT community in Russia? Getting barely any news coverage. Around 40 people, both men and women, have been detained in recent weeks in a, uh, recent weeks in a new wave of persecution, the head of the rights group Russian LGBT Network said in a statement. He added that at least two people died as a result of tortures and that detentions were carried out by law enforcement officers with victims held in the southern city of Argon. But no, virtue signaling razor blade companies are more important. Chechnyans are out there taking homosexuals and detaining them and torturing them. Eh, no biggie, but toxic masculinity. Gillette, you got to get all over that. So on the other side of the break, we're going to look further at some other news items that were apparently really important, such as Donald Trump buying the Clemson football team fast food. And investigative journalism showed itself to new heights on this story back in just a second. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So the government shutdown has brought us all types of goodies. You know, goodies like Speaker Pelosi. She wanted to shut the government down and shut the State of the Union down over the government shutdown. She basically was trying to uh, say that it had something to do with Secret Service concerns, security concerns. You know, that's the thing. From my understanding, from what Secret Service agents have said, they would have still protected the president regardless of whether or not their paycheck was going to be delayed. But Speaker Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi... She decided to take it a whole step further and just say, hey, we're going to have to shut it down. Secret Service concerns. You may have to send it in old school, you know, like they used to do back in the day, delivering the State of the Union the way it was once delivered on a piece of paper. You know, no pomp and circumstance, no shaking hands and saying, you know, the State of the Union is bigly and it's never been better than it's ever been before that I can tell you. But just, you know... An anticlimactic, simple assessment of our nation's statement it was what she was hoping for. Because she knows that if Donald Trump has a microphone and he can't be interrupted and he brings out the angel moms, the mothers, the parents of those innocent Americans killed by illegal aliens, he can make the case pretty daggone easily that the wall is necessary and border security should receive some sort of funding and shutting down the government over that is a pretty ridiculous idea. Now, Donald Trump decided to push back, as he always does, in the final 30 minutes before Nancy Pelosi and her contingency decided to fly out to Brussels and Afghanistan. He drops this little note, this little letter of a bomb that would basically reverberate through the news media for the entire day. To Honorable Nancy Pelosi, Madam Speaker, due to the shutdown, I'm sorry to inform you that the trip to Brussels Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great Americans working not receiving pay, I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. 
Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by a flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive attention, funding, and the security it so desperately deserves. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. So Trump decided to shut down her her taxpayer-funded Air Force uh, excursion over to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan. You know, I mean, why does she even need to go over there? She is, yeah, she's a congresswoman. She represents her district. I don't care if she's Speaker of the House. Why does she have to go over there? And some of the questions the left had asked, you know, of course, they're not going to point it at Nancy Pelosi by any means. Andrea Mitchell asked, what does it cost to fuel and prep a military 757 for a congressional trip and leave it standing on the runway after Donald Trump pulled the plug? Just asking. Well, probably the same amount of fuel cost and expenses that it takes for the prior president to fly their dog on a separate plane. Kyle Griffin from MSNBC posted, just reported on MSNBC, Melania Trump flew to Florida today on a government plane. A law enforcement source confirms to NBC News, just after Trump prevented Nancy Pelosi from using a government plane to visit troops in Afghanistan. Well, it's not really the same because Pelosi was looking at getting inebriated on Johnny Walker Red and flying into Brussels. Why is this trip of national importance, I say? Is the hubby coming along to make some extracurricular uh, deals? I don't know. Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch had some interesting statements on this. Department of Defense advised Nancy Pelosi that military aircraft request could not be met and offered to secure commercial travel. Pelosi's staffer responds, We appreciate the efforts to help the CODEL, that's what the name of the, uh, the, the trip that they were going to take, to fly commercially, but you know the problem that creates with spouses. Congressional spouses could fly free on military planes? Which is why Pelosi staffer pushed for a military plane? Hmm. Judicial Watch exposed this nine years ago, doing the work the media failed to do back then. In a separate email, when told a certain type of luxury Air Force aircraft would not be available, Nancy Pelosi staffers write, This is not good news, and we will have some disappointed folks, as well as a very upset speaker. Purchases for one of Pelosi's lead CODAL, again, that's the name of the trip, on May 15th through the 20th of 2008 included, listen to this little uh, lineup of names, Johnny Walker Red Scotch, Grey Goose Vodka, E&J Brandy, Bailey's Irish Cream, Maker's Mark Whiskey, Cavassier Cognac, yo, I got for my Cavathier. <laughs> Who remembers the ladies' van? Come on. Bacardi Light Rum, Jim Beam Whiskey, Beefeater Gin, Dewar Scotch, Bombay Sapphire Gin, Jack Daniels Whiskey, Corona Beer, and several bottles of wine, all of which I would probably need to induce and basically consume to deal with being on a flight to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan with Nancy Pelosi. All of them. Speaker Pelosi used the Air Force aircraft for a total of 85 trips, covering 206,264 miles from March 2nd, 2009 through March or June 7th of 2010. Pelosi, her guest, and Air Force personnel logged a total of 428.6 hours on these flights. Numerous trips were made by Speaker Pelosi between San Francisco and Air Force, uh, Andrews Air Force Base. 
The Codells are a huge scam on the taxpayer, Dan Bongino, former Secret Service, said about the Codells. Don't fall for this nonsense. They're glorified vacations using government assets where the business being done could easily be done from D.C. Embassy staff told me how much they hate them. It's a scam. So Donald Trump shutting down Nancy Pelosi, a good thing in my mind. Now, sponsor for this portion of the program, Tar River Arms, TRAguns.com is where you go to check out the, you don't need to go to a brick and mortar store to buy guns anymore. You can go to TRAguns.com, Tar River Arms, and check out the 3D imaging that gives you the specs and gives you the luxury of seeing the type of weapon you want from every possible angle from the uh, convenience of your own home you know, or your own location. You could be on the go with your smart device. And it's veteran-owned and operated. Weekly specials going on all the time. TarRiverArms.com is where you want to go. So now the new freshman of the 116th House of Representatives decided to make some points about the government shutdown that they hoped would go viral. Of course, we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she was looking all over for Mitch McConnell. Here's how MSNBC showed the strength and tenacity of Sandy from the block. Freshman Democrats go in search of Mitch McConnell. He's not in the cloakroom. He's not in the Capitol. He's not in the Russell building. He's not in the floor of the Senate. And 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. So where's Mitch? Funny thing is, that's not the real full story. Here's the video of what actually happened when she was walking down the halls with her buddies in the 116th House of Representatives uh, freshman lineup looking for Mitch McConnell's office. Now we're on the Senate side. That's right. Now we're on the Senate side. We're, we're roving out <laughs> to the Senate side because the thing is, we went to his office in the Capitol. We went to his office here in the Russell Building. We went to the floor. He's not. We went to the cloakroom. He's not in the cloakroom. He's not in the Capitol. He's not in the Russell Building. He's not in the floor of the Senate. And 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. So where's Mitch? And just my question. They couldn't find him because those lawmakers went to the wrong office. McConnell works out of the majority leader's space in the Capitol, which the lawmakers would have needed to pass on their way to the Senate side to try to make their point. And McConnell's folks say they had no advance notice that House Democrats were coming to say hi anyway. (laughs) She can't even find the right office. Oh, yeah, you went past that office, and now you're going to go grandstand. Nowhere near where you're supposed to be. You can't even find the freaking office. That's where Mitch McConnell's at. He's in his actual office there, Sandy from the block. But she said she's going to run train of progressivism all over America. Does she not get what that reference is? I mean, seriously. It's like she's out there going, I'm going to felch for your democracy. I'm going to donkey punch white nationalism. Trump bringing those Cleveland steamers to the White House. Uh, Those were the Clemson Tigers. Not the Cleveland steamers. But, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she tried to take on the far-right Scott Walker, as she said. Explaining marginal taxes to a far-right governor, imagine if you did chores for Abuela and she gave you $10. And when you got home, you got to keep it because it's only $10. Then we tax the billionaire in town because he's making tons of money underpaying the townspeople. That was her response to Scott Walker saying, explaining tax rates before Reagan to fifth graders. Imagine if you did chores for your grandma and she gave you $10 and when you got home, your parents took seven from you. That doesn't leave much left. 
To which I responded to her saying, you're a pandering idiot. You're not getting paid $15 an hour by abuela for chores under your metrics. And exactly how much is the billionaire underpaying the townspeople? Those people are free to find other employment. And if a competitive business decides to pay a better wage, those businesses will be more attractive in hiring those employees away from the billionaire's business. Government should never be mandating how a business should be paying its employees. An employee is in a symbiotic relationship with a business. A business is not operating simply to give out jobs to people. They want a return on investment, ROI, for the risk of capital investment, which they placed on the line. An employee is hired to help facilitate this idea. And the employee is giving their services over to the business for the price that the business and the employee has agreed upon based upon what the business is offering through the wages they're providing. You don't have to take the job. You can negotiate your wages. You're not forced to be an employee. So, you know, she's out there now helping people with Twitter, you know, because she doesn't have any substantive uh, logic. She doesn't have any reasoning, economic basis, even though she's an economic major. You know, I mean, she did some bartending. I'm surprised she doesn't know what, you know, liquor cost is versus uh, sales and, and revenue. But she has nothing to inject into the conversation but stupidity. But she thinks she's good with the Twitters. So the Washington Examiner, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, to tutor older Democrats on how to tweet. In fact, on Friday, Ted Lieu, he was showing us the fruits of his labor with his tweet. With AOC and Representative Dingle, Representative Cartwright, and Twitter representatives at a training session on Twitter for Democratic members of Congress. Below is a pic, and this is called a selfie. His donor, though, Ed Buck and Ed's uh, dead junkie house guest, yeah, they're unavailable to take part in that selfie training fun with Ted Lieu. We're paying you for Twitter training? I mean, non-essential employees, they're not getting their checks. The cost of the wall is such an issue to everybody, but we're paying for you to learn something that the majority of Americans who are private users of Twitter do in their off time for free, the few that do it. I imagine Ocasio-Cortez saying, look, Ted, Nancy, it's not called a pound sign. It's called a hashtag. Say it with me. Hashtag. Over here, this is a gif. To add a gift to your, your tweet, you press this button. No, Ms. Pelosi. It's not named after peanut butter. It's not a gif. It's a gif. A g-g-gif. She's out there currently showing Hank Johnson how to form a hashtag on Twitter. Hashtag Lindsey Graham blackmailed by Trump for being gay. That hasn't trended yet, so Hank Johnson's going to make that happen with the assistance of Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. But in the midst of this deadlock halt of the government machine... The Washington Post decided it was going to investigate things that are important. You know, after an eight-long-year hiatus, eight long years of hibernation, investigative journalist reporting is making a comeback because from 2008 to 2016, it was on autopilot. But we got to get to the bottom of fast food in the White House. A Washington Post investigation in an administration overstuffed with bizarre moments and unusual events, a celebration on Monday night of the Clemson University Tigers at the White House nonetheless made a mark. The Tigers, who won the National College Football Championship after not having to play my alma mater, 
Ohio State, the traditional meeting with the president enjoying remarks from the South Carolina senators after retiring to the state dinner for a meal ensued. A meal that was made up of fast food from various national chains. Quote, because the Democrats refused to negotiate on border security, a statement from Press Secretary Sarah Sanders explained, much of the resident staff of the White House has been furloughed. So the president is personally paying for the event to be catered with some of everyone's favorite fast foods. Here's President Trump presenting his feast with obvious satisfaction. We have pizzas, we have 300 hamburgers, many, many french fries, all of our favorite foods. Uh, I want to see what's here when we leave, because I don't think it's going to be much. The reason we did this is because of the shutdown. Uh, we want to make sure that everything is right. So we sent out, we got this, and we have some wonderful people working at the White House. They helped us out with this. And uh, I will say the Republicans are really, really sticking together. It's great to see because we need border security. We have to have it. We have to have it. No doubt about it. Should have happened 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And it's going to happen now. Going to happen now. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your food. Thanks, Phil. Good. Good, right good stuff. Grab Thanks, one. Guys. Grab one, fellas. Grab one. Nobody will miss it. <laughs> I love the way he puts it. Yeah, grab some on the way out. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to notice. How much did all this cost? That's what they were asking. I'd say probably less than a border wall. Probably more than restocking Jim Acosta's press secretary vending machine, which he was bitching about being completely dry during the last shutdown. You remember Jim Acosta out there crying because he couldn't get his bag of Funyuns? He was like, this is an example of the government shutdown and the vending machine was completely empty. <laughs> Nothing but those little metal rings. Was this special special investigative report from PolitiFast Food? Are we PolitiFast Food checking the White House? I mean, come on. And they even redirected statements that Trump made down Gillette toxic masculinity lane when he talked about whether his wife or even Mike Pence's wife may possibly have to step up to help out by making some salads. I mean, I mean, I mean, Scott, look, <laughs> that's crazy. This is one of those things where sometimes what people say when they're being funny is exposes exactly who they are and what they think. Not that there was any question, but, but this is pretty clear. Uh, I, I certainly didn't take his comments to be sexist. I think that um, if somebody took them that way, you know, that's that's so fine. Then Mike, I, probably Mike they want to take everything that salads. Donald Trump says as being. Scott, <laughs> as can being I just evil. ask you, how in the world uh, do you not perceive that as sexist to say the assumption that his wife's going to go make salads for the bunch of football players? What is she I, like, the cook? Well, I didn't. I didn't hear it that She's way. I eat read. salad almost every night for dinner. I mean, I, <laughs> we make a lot of salads oh, in the Jennings Scott. household, and does I make some. Does your wife expect your wife to make I mean, them all for you? I mean, I, maybe she does. No, Fine. I make I mean, some, and she makes some. Okay, but that's not what he said. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take it that way. If somebody took it that way, that that's fine. I, I didn't. It didn't strike me that way. I think he was trying to make a joke about feeding hamburgers to football players. I think you you might be overreading this one. Uh, I'm not overreading it. He made a joke that was sexist about women. I guess what I guess maybe what we're disagreeing with is whether it's funny. And whether humor is, is something that's serious. <laughs> I think Scott's I, disagreeing that it's sexist, uh, I, which he's entitled to his opinion. It's not going to be a popular one. No, but I didn't, it, it, didn't, it, didn't strike, it didn't strike me that way, and, and I'm, not, I, <laughs> I'm, surprised, I'm surprised that you all are taking it that way, but it's fine. Wow, okay. I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, no, I, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open about when I have an opinion on things. I, I feel pretty strongly it's a sexist thing to say. Of course, Aaron Burnett, completely offended by this. Back to the Washington Post investigative report on drive through gate 
As Trump repeatedly makes clear, it is indeed a lot of food, perhaps not a lot of food in the context of a hungry college football team. In his comments, he claims that there's 300 burgers total, which are obviously joined by a number of salads, chicken nuggets, separate table under a heat lamp for fries and pizza. It raises perhaps the obvious question exactly how much did all this cost? So here's the spread on the main table as it looked before the entrance. Once they were in the room, of course, those hamburgers, pizzas, salads, chicken nuggets, they were all quickly plucked from the table. Others were picked up by waiters in the room and distributed on platters in the style of servers at an elegant cocktail party. Another Big Mac, sir? Please, help yourself. After considering um, far more wire photos and social media posts than one might expect, we're pleased to report that the arrangement in the room had this nice setup where there were sandwiches and pizzas from McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, and Domino's. Now, Trump spent about $2,911 feeding the team. Update! Update! Whoa! Breaking news! Some of the people have noted that McDonald's sandwiches and nuggets would be on the two-for-five-dollar menu. So, if that's the case, the total drops to $2,437.11. It also explains why there's so many more McDonald's products than burgers from Burger King. This total includes 319 sandwiches, 177 of which were hamburgers. President Trump's 300 hamburger figure referred to all the sandwiches, or perhaps they weren't all put out in the outset. The low number of Whoppers and pizzas certainly does suggest that some of the food may have been held in reserve. Oh my God! The White House staff was passing out Wendy's on serving trays that took those sandwiches directly from the table. However, it seems to suggest that what you see in the photos was what was purchased. Was it enough, of, enough food indeed? The Calorie King counted that the calories in the room were about 310,000, excluding sauces and dressings. The spread also made up somewhere of 116,000 grams of fat. In other words, each player could eat about 2,600 calories of food, assuming the counts and estimates were correct. Fact check. At two inches each, a thousand burgers would not reach one mile high. And that was because someone had said that Trump had had, you know, a mile high worth of, of hamburgers. I mean, this is real. This is considered real journalism. I mean, it's where did they go from 2008 to 2016? To where this seems like something that they really need to die on the sword of, that they need to make a point of, that they have to sit there and show their journalist uh, prowess and their their skill set on going through the hamburgers. The Daily Beast, Tim Timothy Burt posted, Clemson football has an executive performance chef, dietary coach whose specific job was to ensure that the players do not eat the very food Donald Trump is serving them in the White House. Damn you, Donald Trump! You ruined diets, too! Philip Blum from the Washington Post tweeted out, That Clemson victory dinner at the White House, by my estimate, $3,000 spent on 310,000 calories. David Roberts from Vox said, U.S. fast food emerges out of a vast network of animal suffering and ecological destruction and in turn has produced an epidemic of ill health. In large swath, uh, swaths of the country, it is the cheapest and sometimes only option thanks to a really bad and implicit subsidies. Backed by ubiquitous, relentless corporate advertising, yet this 
unholy stew of capitalist exploitation and corporate welfare has taken on a vaguely populist air. Already I agree that, and I guarantee there are people responding to this first tweet calling me a tedious scold. Yes, in many places, fast food is the cheapest option. So many poor and working class people depend on it. Yes, it tastes good because it's literally designed in effing laboratories to stimulate our taste centers. So yes, it's a lot of ordinary people that eat it and like it, but it's super weird to then extend fast food to some sort of populist credibility. This is the crap that's being peddled by Vox, by the Daily Beast, by these idiots who are out there finding ways to get offended over the fact that he did basically what, you know, an older guy in an office would do. You know, uh, we got to work late tonight. Hey, you go get some pizzas. I mean, that's basically what they did. In my estimate, it was 103.33 calories per dollar. That's America. That's actually better than the dollar per calorie intake of the majority of Americans. Again, media reporting, investigative journalism went silent from 2008 to 2016, and now we're analyzing, scrutinizing, and getting really extreme in-depth coverage over fast food orders of the White House. I wonder what changed. Hmm, maybe a new president? Trump should have just had his uh, former labor secretary nominee, you know, Andy Pudsner, the guy from Carl's Jr. and Hardee's, should have brought in truckloads of burgers with those hotties in bikinis from his commercials and have them serve the Clemson football team just to watch the left's heads explode. I mean, Trump could do no right. He could have ordered from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and we'd hear them bitch about the slaughtering of animals. So the shutdown pushes on, the chaos consumes, and is continuing on. Oh, you haven't seen the chaos? You haven't felt the vice grip on society without the uh, aid of active, non-essential government in your life? Well, Bernie Sanders has, and he's going to give us the horrors of an inactive EPA. This is the Environmental Protection Agency here in Washington, D.C. And as you may notice, it is very quiet. And it is quiet because 95% of EPA employees are furloughed. They're not going to work. And many of them are considered non-essential. Meanwhile, as I think most people know, the scientific community has made it clear that climate change is the great crisis facing our planet. And what the scientists tell us is if we do not transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy, the planet that we will be leaving our children and grandchildren will be increasingly unhealthy and uninhabitable. So here you have a major crisis for the United States and for the world. And at the same time, you have nobody or almost nobody working here at the EPA, the agency that should be leading the effort in this country and around the world to combat climate change. Now, how insane is that? So today I say to Mitch McConnell, reopen the government, let the Senate have a vote on whether or not we approve what the House did, which is exactly the same legislation that Mitch McConnell and every other Republican senator voted for just a few weeks ago. We cannot continue to have some 800,000 federal employees, including the workers here at the EPA, not getting a paycheck, not being able to pay their mortgages, not being able to go to the doctor when they are sick. So let's reopen the government. Let's demand that the EPA help lead our country in the world in combating climate change. Thank you. Oh, my God, the national parks don't have anyone to oversee them. People are getting injured. Hikers are dying. The Joshua trees are being chopped down. 
These same people could completely care less about eliminating the 2,000-plus ICE agents by shutting down immigration control, but I have my own little TSA story about the government shutdown since a lot of those were going around online. Just went through the airport security. The TSA agent turned to me, tears in his eyes, said, please, don't take your shoes off. I asked, why? Are you protesting because of the government shutdown? He said, no, no. Your foot smells like a freaking landfill. Tears continued. But, you know, that's what we're dealing with. Never mind the fact that Spain has showed us. Not Well, let's not forget that 78% of the government workers make mm, 78% more than the private sector do. Their wages, completely higher on the average. So even though it sucks to be in their situation, we have to realize that they're still getting paid higher than comparable salaries on the private sector. But Spain has showed us that a government shutdown is not that bad of a deal. Spain has already had a government shutdown for 10 months, and it is expected to be one of the fastest growing Eurozone economies this year. As a result, the unemployment rate has fallen to 18.9%, so much for the necessity of activist management of the economy. So there you go. Spain showing us that a closed government is not a bad thing. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to the show on Mojo 5.0, the edgiest, newest libertarian and conservative talk network on iHeartRadio and Mojo5.0.com every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Saturday and Sunday evenings. You can check out the podcast on Mojo5.0's Spreaker page or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, Podbean, tons of other outlets that carry your favorite podcast. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Adrian Slade Show or at Rants Out Loud. Also on Snippy, Parlor, also on Gab, MeWe. Adrian Slade Show is where you can find me. 